0: It's going to feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put a thumb in the air. Hey.
1: Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Uh, obviously, flyers are postponed. However, we are not. So let's get right into it. Let's lead things off with the fly by Yourself, Kelly Hinkle.
2: So before everything went to shit again, I was... Uh... Starting to have a lot of complicated feelings about Elaine Vino, and I don't. The year
1: is 2019. Yeah, right. I
2: don't know what's happening. I'm starting to, uh... I'm starting to get pissed off at him and hate him a little bit. But then also, um, friend of the pod Yolo Pinato, tweeted something the other day about how coaches literally don't do anything. Everything is just improvement or underperforming or regression to the mean, and like nothing actually means anything. Um, so that made me feel a little That's bit how better. How I feel about the world. But also, you know. Why are we Why are we letting the power play be this way for so long? I don't understand why we're doing it.
1: I got the on one positive thing I did see with the power play is at least they replaced Provorov with Gustafson. That's true. Like that was one, Provorov bad at it. I don't care what his numbers are. You can count on him for at least one fumble every single game. And two, like if Gustafson has to be in this lineup, if he's not on your power play, what the fuck's he doing? Like, yeah. what's the point? He's just a guy who's terrible on defense, and that's it? Like, get the most out of him on the power play, and at least we've seen that. But, I don't know. Team's winning, so I'll give the coach that credit.
0: I think it's okay to have complicated feelings about Elaine Vigneault because we don't really have a whole lot of information to go off of. We have, thank you, Bear, we have last season, and we have – the the very weird playoff situation and then we have kind of this season. So it's not like we have had a, a lot of time with the guy. So I I think it's okay. I, and I think that feeling um ambivalent about him, I don't think that that's the right word, but let's roll with it, is normal given the state of all this shit. It's true.
3: Also, there's the simple fact that, like, I almost, I I was thinking about this a few days ago, really in relation to, like, a general manager or a player. But it it works for a coach even better, to be honest, is that, honestly, it takes more guts to say you like a coach than to say you don't. Because, inevitably, a coach's tenure is going to end with everyone hating him. Like, there's maybe one coach out of 100 that leaves his team with the fan base not fucking hating it. So the safest play is to just assume the coach is bad, because eventually you're going to hate him. Because He's ev- me a coward, everyone hates the coach <laughs> at the end. Like, it's just the way it goes. A coach has, you know, a shelf life, and the fans, especially the ones that are super diehard because they're the most batshit crazy, they decide they hate him and he's incompetent at everything, and that's just how it goes. So the people who decide that he sucks right off the bat are really just getting a jump on the process. (laughs) And, uh, like, it might have only been, I
1: don't know, like a week and a half, but we even liked Hackstall at the beginning. and Yes. You know, we saw how that went, but AV is, you know— I all all coaches are bad. Like they are. they're I mean, have
0: you considered that hockey is actually bad? Oh, I've I have on quite a that. few
3: occasions considered mm-hmm. that. Yes. I mean to be clear, I don't think all coaches are bad, and I think Elaine Vigno is a good coach on the whole, and I think his track record says that. But I'm just saying that like in three years or two years or eight years when his tenure in Philadelphia inevitably ends, because everything ends, everyone's gonna fucking hate him because that's the way this always goes.
2: Yes. Just well, get yeah. head Arby's. I of the say, of there.
1: I say, all coaches are bad because, like goalies, it's their job to take the fun out of shit. <laughs> it's like, hey, that, uh, that, that Washington game on Sunday, really fun, right? Oh no, that's a coach's nightmare. Like, yes, fun is a coach's nightmare. So obviously, you hate like, we, the coach <laughs> is bad. Like, he's a bad guy. I don't know if he's a good coach or a bad coach. But as a human being, his existence is to deny me joy. From <laughs> love it. TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor.
3: Hey everybody, so I want to point out something that, and to be clear, I haven't like, fact-checked this or anything, because oh, perfect. It, it just came out, <laughs> um, but I, it seems likely that this is actually what happened, it was posted on our Slack, and it's been on Twitter, but it appears that um, someone named uh, Heather Kerstetter did like a GoFundMe to try to get her a... Um, a uh handicap accessible van for her to use and she was like a thousand dollars away from the goal and our flyers player scott lawton dropped a thousand dollars in the go and shut got up to the goal. What oh, fuck.
0: an angel
3: now i guess it is possible that someone else could have dropped a thousand dollars and wrote that their name is scott lawton but the likelihood of like Someone having a thousand dollars to drop and then giving Scott Lawton the credit seems pretty slim. Occam's razor says it was probably Scott Lawton, which is
0: pretty cool. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I've heard that he is just like a really sweet boy is a little sweet little serial killer. Is this why he
3: hates the serial
1: killer stuff? Because he's so nice.
0: Probably. (laughs) (laughs) He has this tiny little kitten that just loves him. And, you know, cats are great judges of character.
2: I don't know. Mine likes me. That's.
0: That's really sweet. I've seen, I've seen that GoFundMe go around, um, and she is a diehard Philadelphia sports fan, so that makes me so happy really that, number cool. one, she's getting the van that she needs, and that it was one of our good boys that helped her out. Sometimes things are actually good. Sometimes. Some would call very him very rarely.
1: Some would call him the one C. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> last but certainly not least, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver.
0: So I think it's time for us to really dig into the process versus results conversation. And I know that you guys had started this last week when I was dealing with legal issues. <laughs> Um. Yes. Go- Legal. <laughs> go on. <laughs> we, that's that's as much as I can say right now. Um But, you know, Bill just said the Washington game was fun. However, there's still a very large contingent of Flyers fans that are looking at this game where there are 11 goals scored, seven of them by the Flyers. I believe I'm, 11, I'm yep. I've got those numbers, right? Yep. And, and saying that it was a bad game bad. and that terrible. the team was trash Barber. and Travis Konechny didn't score en- or didn't get enough penalty minutes and Carter Hart looks like garbage and we've got to be done with him and that the defense, I mean, we know the defense is
1: shit. Like, that's no shock. I mean, here. why are we even paying attention to this argument?
0: Because there's so many of them. So we really, we really need to take a look at the standings, that game. That win put the Flyers into first place. Is that in, uh, Whatever the fuck this division is called, right? That's yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And or, like, yeah, they're tied for first, not a winning percentage, but
3: same points.
0: Oh, I thought that that because they beat Washington, they were first.
3: Um, I think they were tied for first, but Boston's played fewer games. So points-wise, they're tied for first. But and, and plus, like, Boston obviously beat the Flyers four times, so they should be ahead of them.
2: That seems <laughs> like, fuck fuck irrelevant Boston. here. So,
0: so <laughs> the conclusion of what I'm saying is, fuck Boston, and also the Flyers, whether whether they look good or not, are still winning games. Let's just kind of lean into the chaos, even – it's it's a different story if it, it's physically painful hockey to watch, and some of the games this season have been physically painful. But that's not what happened in that Capitals game. Eleven goals. That's that was fun.
1: That was fun. Oh yeah, that was a ton of fun. And like, listen, the last three games. Let's go on those because those are the those are the games where I really think you can point to the Flyers' main issues and why the games are even necessarily close. Like the two Boston games. For the most part, I thought were some of the best games the Flyers have played. They just choked them away at the end. And, like, they get killed by a line that they don't have the antidote for. Sean Couturier is the vaccine. Brad Marchand is the fucking virus running free out there. (laughs) He's not available. Uh, Yeah, like, Alex Ovechkin, one of the greatest players of all time, has a great fucking day. Okay, they scored four goals. We scored seven and one. That's good. <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck if they win 100 to 90 because that means they won. Uh, if we give Could up 19 goals in the Stanley Cup final but score 26, we win. I, I, sure, I think
0: you imagine the high scoring of a game? That would be nuts. <laughs> I,
3: I think there's, there's two things going on here. And one complaint I am very open to, and the other kind of makes me roll my eyes. So, like, the idea that the Flyers process so far has not been great is true, and that's concerning to a degree. Now, you can look at it and you can say Sean Couturier wasn't in the lineup, which is true. Um, You can look at it and say it's early in the season, which is true. You can look at it and say there was no training camp, which is true, but... In the grand scheme of things, the Flyers ideally would be winning more convincingly or at least not having as many breakdowns or controlling play more, and that's a fair critique. So I think that that is a fair critique. Even if the team is winning, it's reasonable to say if they keep winning like this, eventually either they're going to start losing or if somehow this lasts through the entirety of the season, they're probably not going to go that far in the playoffs playing this way. So that to me is a reasonable concern. What does annoy me is that I think that there, there are people in the fan base who entered the season believing that this team actually wasn't good. And they're just using any bit of evidence they can find to justify why they were right. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that make me roll my eyes. because Using like...
1: wins as evidence
3: that the team is bad is a <laughs> exactly. fucked up strategy. That, I gotta be honest with you. That's why it gets tiresome because it's like look i i am open to viable concerns over the process but if it just seems like you're looking for reasons to say why you were right even as the team is winning games it's a little bit tiresome
2: also you can at the same time enjoy the wins and acknowledge that they could play better these two things are not mutually exclusive There seems to be totally fine. There seems to be some suggestion that if you are celebrating the fact that they have a winning record, you are somehow like tacitly supporting the idea that bad hockey is good.
1: Or you're just a casual, as the kids say online. Oh, you only look at wins and losses? Oh, no, no, no. I honestly, I blame Charlie. He's educated our fan base. He's educated our fan base to a point that we have, uh, like, it's reversed. Our heads are now up our asses that far that we can't even enjoy a fucking winning team.
0: Wow, good job, Chuck. That's all me.
1: Like I I it it boggles my mind. Like yeah, there are a lot of things they could do better. Can we all agree like I believe the process has improved the oh, last yeah, few games. I Oh, for sure. That. It definitely. And has. whether it's a high-scoring game or low-scoring game, I believe the Washington game was basically the formula. Close the whole way, depth wins it at the end because we can they have one line and we have four. Like that's 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 to me what this team is built to do. Yeah, through two periods, maybe we could play better. Guess what's going to happen? to third floodgates are going to open because we have four lines. Like that's the formula, and it happened right away. Oh yeah, Sean Couturier's still a little banged up. Well, guess what? He's out there to start the third. Bang! Goal. We're in the lead. We don't give it up. Let's all go. Let's all go home happy. And and this seems like the formula
3: to me. And the thing too with the Washington game, and like I again, you get into this like, well, there's no excuses and all this other stuff. But like, look. What, six hours before the Washington game started, they all had to get off for rapid tests. They went to the rink not even knowing if they were going to play. Like, these are human beings. And when your routine gets thrown to that degree, and when you get worried about, like, am I going to play? What's going on? This is bizarre. It's probably going to impact the quality of your play just a little bit. Probably. So I'm willing to give them a pass on the process, especially because they won the freaking game anyway. So, and like, they whatever. scored seven goals!
1: Am I going to get mad about a seven-goal out? Like, I get mad about a lot of shit. It
2: ain't going to be that. This is true. There's you so do. Much, there's so much to get mad about. I don't know why yeah, you would get like, mad about a, a 7-4 win over uh, the Washington yeah, like,
1: Against Alex Ovechkin <laughs> and yeah. Nick Backstrom. Like, that's who scored the four goals.
2: Yeah. Like, and, they, and they made you look silly doing it, and you still beat them.
1: Yeah. I just... Uh, all right. So, I know... The Flyers shouldn't protect JVR in the Seattle expansion draft. But should they, though? <laughs> <laughs> like, seven goals, 11 assists. He entered Monday. I realize it's Wednesday now, but, like, you know, we thought there were going to be games this week for the Flyers. But he was fourth in the league in scoring when Sunday's games end. Just as we like, predicted. That's pretty good. His, the, the guys ahead of him are named Marner, Dreisaitl, and McDavid after the game ends on Sunday. I don't know. I like those guys. They're all pretty talented. He's right there with them. He had more points than Patrick Kane. It's finally come to fruition. <laughs> it has finally <laughs> happened. He was ahead of Patty Kane. Like I, I, I understand the salary. I understand his age. I understand the flat cap, and someone's going to have to be exposed, and... Man, that money can be better allocated elsewhere. Like Dougie Hamilton and Gabriel Landis are UFAs as of right now, that would be nice. Uh, I'm just saying, he's really good. Is one, how is this possible? And two, like, is it is it feasible to protect him?
2: Well, he's always been good. He's just streaky as hell, like every other goal scorer. I mean, he's on a hot streak.
1: He's not just scoring goals right now, though.
2: No, he looks really good
1: all over the place. He's doing a lot of shit. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, the the short answer, Bill, is that like I mean, he should be in the mix. I I feel like in a sense he maybe always was in the mix. He just like the amount of hate that he gets from a lot of Flyers fans sort of masked that. But like if you really break down the 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 guys that they were gonna protect, I mean. Most likely, there are six forwards who are pretty much locks, which meant there was one spot available. And to me, I looked at it as that last spot was either going to be was either going to go to Jake Voracek or Nick Albe Cubell, or maybe Scott Lawton if they re-signed him before the, um, you know, before the expansion draft. Well, now I think you have to add James Van Reams, like to that mix. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy you pick. But he's got to be in the conversation, because if you think about it, like, what, Jake Voracek's going to have, after the season, three more years on an $8.25 million cap hit, and after the season, James Van Riebzeg is going to have two more years on a $7 million cap hit? Like, I'm I'm not saying Jake Voracek has been bad this year but James Van Reems like, has been better oh, and he's and he's on a more favorable contract than Jake Voracek so hmm. am I do I think that Jake Voracek is a better player than James Van Reems like yeah I do but that's after 13 games i mean if we see 56 games of this if they even play 56 games this year and James Van Reems like, plays better than Jake Voracek over 56 games I might be like, you know what? Actually, James Andrew's like, if you're gonna if you're gonna protect one of the two high priced wingers that are in their thirties, maybe Van Reams likes the guy. I
1: it's crazy to me that like after 13 games I've arrived at this conclusion.
3: I mean, this is this this is being a fan, Bill. I know.
1: I,
0: just, I wanna I wanna hear Kelly's opinion specifically on JVR because I know that she's hated him for a long time
2: to be i mean past kelly had a silly opinion that because james van Reemsdyke is a large fellow that he should be a big brutish power forward and he is simply not that player having reevaluated my thoughts on that <laughs> i would not have traded him again well, so bill thought that yeah.
0: he was he was not coming to play in the nhl for a rule that didn't exist oh yeah like, I, I really liked that. that one that was a good one remember that you said fun.
2: that he he was like oh yeah
1: he yeah, yeah, yeah 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 he, 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 refu- he refused to come back yeah yeah no he was uh i thought when jeru came up for that like two game emergency call up someone had told me that they offered it to jvr and he was like nah i'm good in college but it's <laughs> It turns out that that's illegal. There's you can't
3: do that. <laughs> I actually can't so, do that. So I like, hated you him believe
1: for that
0: for like eight years. Yeah, yeah. I hate
1: like I was I was told that I was wrong about that. Like I'm pretty sure after they brought him back, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I was I was misinformed on something for like close to a decade. Who am I? I was all I was all about like the Luke Shen trade, you know, because my opinion of JVR was kind of the same as Paul Holmgren's. You can fill in the blanks there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I and I like I was a supporter of bringing him back because he did something they needed to do: score some power play goals. You knew they were going to be losing Wayne Simmons one way or another in the near future. Needed to replace that production. Uh, he has for the most part, but this season, man, he just looks fucking good. Like, is that their best line right now? Like, obviously, like so. Couturier comes back, and they figure out what they're doing with him. That probably becomes their best line. But Lawton, Faraby, JVR, I mean, my God. Two hat tricks and JVR in a week? Pretty good.
0: It's, it's argue. shocking. It's shocking how good they are. And, like, I'm not upset about it.
1: All right, something we are upset about, the, uh, these COVID postponements, they're a real fucking bummer, man. Not loving it. Like,
0: <laughs> That's what we're rolling with. They're just a...
1: Yeah, I mean... What Show else me the lie. You, He's w- not what al- <laughs> No lies detected. What else can you <laughs> say about it? Like, it's a fucking bummer. Like, I just have... Do the three U.S. divisions just need a two-week quarantine? Yes. Like, please, everybody, just stay in your house for two weeks, and then we can get back to this. Yeah.
0: I, I tweeted that yesterday. Like, yeah. they They need to... Everyone... They just need to shut it down. Shut it down for two weeks... Get everyone healthy, hopefully. Like we all know that COVID has lingering um, side effects. Uh, they're they're dealing with that in Minnesota right now. Um, but get everyone as healthy as possible, and then try again. Because the the way that it's worked so far, with three weeks into the season, over ninety players have been on this COVID list like that's just it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable and something needs to change. Yeah,
2: and just sorry. I was okay, going to say it just yeah. feels like an
0: easy solution
2: to the fact that there is I think what you could definitely call an outbreak at this point is that if you just shut it down for a couple of weeks, you give this thing time to work through whoever unfortunately has it and then you get started again. With a clean slate, it seems like an easy solution.
3: Yeah, I mean, the only issue I have with that, and like I, I agree, it seems like a prudent thing considering the amount of teams that are going through, you know, these these COVID problems and getting paused and dealing with uncertainty and whatnot, is that you know it's it's a short-term solution definitely because everything's kind of a mess. It's just I don't know what changes two weeks into the future. Like, do we? we pause it for two weeks and then we start up again. And then in two more weeks, we're dealing with the same thing again. Like we very well might be. I, and so it's, it's almost like if you're really committed to seeing this through, like, I'm not sure what a two week pause does aside from, you know, maybe get a couple more players vaccinated. I don't know. Like it's just, it's, it's tough all around because it just feels like, it feels like the NHL is committed to this. And if they're committed to this, you know, their view just might be why bother? We might as well just try to rush through this as quickly as we can and cross our fingers that the whole house of cards doesn't fall apart.
2: I mean, I have a feeling that's that's what they're going to do. But I mean, like, the two-week pause does accomplish something in that, like, right now we know that there are vectors running around on the ice. We know that, obviously, on multiple teams, in multiple divisions. And if you just pull it all back for a couple of weeks and let the virus run its course wherever it's hanging out right now, Theoretically, you get back to it, and there's no more spreading it around because it's it's not really actively around anymore until, of course, someone goes to Wawa, and, <laughs> exactly, you know, gets a hot dog, and then picks up COVID again. Like I don't, yeah. I don't, it's not a it's not a perfect solution, but I do think that it might at least slow down whatever they got going on right now.
1: And like I will like obviously, the NFL had its problems throughout the season, but for the most part. Uh, it was pretty well contained. Now that could just be the NFL media machine keeping keeping it covered up. You know that's always a possibility with them. Uh, but I think we're seeing the major differences in in two contact sports. One is the NFL had a lot of enforcement. Now there's stories about players like who refused to wear these uh, contact tracing bracelets, but. Everyone employed by the NFL, not just the players, like, people in the offices, people who work for NFL Films, they all wear these contact tracing bracelets, and, like, if you're within six feet of somebody for more than 15 minutes, a fucking alarm goes off.
0: That's pretty
1: neat, actually. Oh, yeah, I love that. Also.
0: Can I have one for just everyday (laughs) life?
1: (laughs) Also, an NFL sideline is fucking gigantic. Like, yeah. you can have guys just in their position groups away from everyone else. Now, obviously, it gets crowded, but theoretically, you can do it. Like, an NHL bench, I don't understand how three players are, are at least being traced for contact, for close contact, and it's not the whole team. I don't understand how Claude Giroux can line up for face-offs against guys, and they're not, like, also on the close contact list. It just seems like there's not actually a plan. I don't know. Maybe there look, look. is, Charlie. You're closer to the situation if you can shed some light on it. It just doesn't feel like this is organized at all, and it's slipping
3: away from them because of it. I don't think the organization... like. I don't think the organization, and this is going to sound cynical, I don't think it really matters. Like The one thing that they could have done, and they probably should have done, was do rapid daily testing on game days. They should have done that. They didn't do that because they were afraid that because it's not as reliable as the the daily testing that takes about 24 hours to get results, because it's not as reliable, they were going to have players getting pulled from games that weren't actually positive and teams were going to lose games because Nathan McKinnon couldn't play in a game because he got a false positive and there was going to be a lot of shit. They should have done that. It was better to be safe, you know, and take the risk of a couple teams getting a little ticked off. But I really don't think organizations, the problem here, the problem here is extremely fucking simple. Why is the, why do the NFL work better than hockey? Because football games are played outside. Outside, Like this, this isn't isn't difficult. Like every bit of information we have is that it's much harder to transmit this thing outdoors versus when you're indoors. Football games and baseball games, there was no confirmed examples that they were, they were able to find of in-game transmission. You know why? Because they play outside. You know why there's almost certainly going to be tons of examples of in-game transmission in hockey? Because they play inside and because it's freaking cold in a hockey rink. And that means that the air particles stay in the air longer, which means that it's easier to transmit this thing. And, like, I don't know if there's any degree of organization that is going to change that very simple fact. What's your personal comfort level going into the arena to cover games? That's a fair question. I actually had a conversation with um with with my mom this morning about that. Um there is a degree of concern definitely. I mean, I I guess I mean I'm in in not saying that like it's a certainty I would be okay if I get it, but like I'm in my, you know, early 30s. I'm completely healthy. I have no no risk factors. So, Goes chance to the
1: gym 3 times a day. <laughs>
3: hey. So like Minimum. but I mean like chances are if I were to get it, I would probably be okay. The main reason why I've been careful with this is cuz I just don't want to spread it and infect people I care about in my life that are at risk or at least at more risk than i am um that said yeah i mean there's a degree of concern like we wear masks definitely at all times and you know we're not that close to to the players but we're also not that far you know we're not even up at the press box anymore we're in the 100 level so we're pretty close and Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible that if there's an outbreak with one of the teams playing that even with the mask on, I'm close enough that I could get infected. And yeah, I mean, it's like you wear a mask the whole time. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, the the only the way it works is for us is that when we are at our tables in the uh, so like there we all have tables set up in the 100 level, basically like sitting on top of the normal seats. Um, they have like those, you know, those nylon things that have the ads, and then right above those, like right when those nylon uh, things stop, that's where the, the press tables are are set up, and you can't see them on TV because that's where the cameras end. But we're basically right there. Um, when you're in that spot, you have to wear your mask at all times. You can't even take your mask off to like get a drink of water, like. All times, have a mask on. Then if you go to the concourse, they have tables set up, all socially distanced, um, like just kind of where you would like stand, you know, waiting for food or something. And there you are allowed to take your mask off to eat, but like only to eat. You're not allowed to like take your mask off, period. Like if you're like drinking water or soda or you're eating your, your dinner or whatever, you can take your mask off. But you cannot take your mask off when you are in the actual like seating area for the game um and you're pretty much supposed to wear it at all times so like yeah there's there's a degree of concern definitely but like you know i'm not i'm not special like everybody who's working during this you know having to go to work and there's a shitload of people that are that don't have the luxury of working from home they all have to deal with this you know the same risk so i mean yeah i'm worried but I, i wouldn't consider myself you know more worried than anyone who's having to go to work in the middle of a pandemic
1: and that's I'm I'm glad you brought that up cuz this is why I'm not like specifically angry at players for, you know, maybe being a little irresponsible. I, I, everyone should be as responsible and safe as possible. But if you if it has been deemed that the world is safe enough for you to go slap a puck around with a stick with your pals for 3 hours a day mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, your boss gets his check, uh, like then it's safe enough for you to go get dinner. Like, I can see how you make that connection in your head. And I don't know if that's how these things happen or if it's just, like, happenstance. Like, you gotta go to the goddamn grocery store every now and then, like, these things happen. But, like, I can't blame individuals for making these determinations when, like, it's been made for all of us. Like, hey, you know what you gotta do still, though? Go to work. It's safe enough to do that. Then it's safe enough to live the rest of your life. People can come to the conclusion. It's not, but I see how they make those connections.
2: Yeah, I don't hang this on the players at all. Like, I I seriously don't think it's like, I think it was, was it an NFL player or an NBA player that like went to a strip club during the COVID stuff? I can't remember who it was, but anyway, I feel like it was NFL but it was it-
1: dwayne haskins yeah yeah
2: like i I don't oh, think that yeah, any yeah. of these like I don't think any of the flyers are like going to club risque on you know Saturday night and getting covid so like they're I'm sure they're just living their lives it's hard to be mad at them. the reason that this is a problem is because of the in game situations like it's not their lives it's the yeah
1: well, I mean the only way to prevent it is if they weren't playing and like yeah. that's not that's like, listen, it's probably the best route, but that's not good for any of us. It's not good for any of them. and It's not good for the league. So like, I get it, you know, it's, we all kind of have made these determinations that like, okay, I'm willing to risk X and this is the, the risk the league is willing to take on, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I can't stop thinking about Carter Hart at
2: club risque. It, I, I bet he, I, I bet he's, I bet he's a little bit that guy. It's in there. He's, a, he's an attractive 23-year-old I mean, <laughs> gentleman. He's He fucks.
0: But no, no, no. That's not, I mean, specifically <laughs> risque. I know. I just None hope. of the good ones. He's a good uh, risque.
1: I just hope they're all at show and tell.
0: I was oh, just going no, to say Travis Konechny hangs out at show and tell. Because, <laughs> because
1: the virus couldn't live in there. Oh, my God. <laughs>
3: <laughs> none, of the, none of these strip clubs in Philly are open, right? Like, they're know, all still closed, so. I would I, think. I,
1: I, I can't I think, imagine.
2: I think I saw a, a billboard the other day when I was coming home from Delaware that
0: said that Risqué is open.
3: Oh, really? Shit. I think so. Okay.
0: That would i like for science that would be really interesting to see how they're running it. put on a whole yeah. hazmat suit and go in and see what's going on <laughs> uh, just dancing behind plexiglass get a nice like, steak
1: while you're there like yeah. it could be worse buffet buffet lunch or something yeah. <laughs> right
0: like you know you know the game shows where they put you in like the plexiglass box yeah and, and you've got to catch the money yeah yes oh god like that's what that's how i imagine the the ladies dancing yeah. they're just in that plexiglass box <laughs> that's
3: so, actually not bad so, so getting back to kind of where we're at, just in case, they, just in case there are like people listening who don't exactly know what's going on with the Flyers. So, the Flyers' Tuesday game, obviously against the Capitals, was postponed. Um, they have the Flyers have three players in the COVID list: Travis Sanheim, Claude Giroux, Justin Braun. Um, their games Thursday and Saturday against the Devils were already postponed because the Devils are in the midst of an outbreak. I think as of today, the Devils have nineteen players on the COVID list? It's absurd. Pretty much the whole team. Basically the whole team. So those games weren't happening anyway. The next time the Flyers are scheduled to play is Sunday against the Rangers. That game obviously is very much up in the air because – If this is going through the Flyers locker room, presumably more players will end up on the COVID list in the coming days. We'll see what happens. We'll find out. If more players are on the list uh, today around 5 p.m., so probably by the time you're listening to this show, you will know if there are more players on the list. But it doesn't seem like this is ending anytime soon. So we might have a decent amount of time without Flyers hockey Hmm. due to COVID protocols.
0: I was just thinking about it uh, before – like it was actually last night that I was thinking about it. Like Claude Giroux, he's got his wife and his baby. Like, is he being separated from them while he's testing positive? I would hope so. I would yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, it okay. might even go might even go beyond that because, and like, I haven't been able to confirm this, but I know that in past situations with um, with players who. Got a positive test, and again, I don't know if Claude Drew got a positive test. Um, same with Justin Braun; it's Justin Braun has kids as well. I was, um, I was getting there. You were getting there. Um, players who have positive tests on the road have to stay in that city. Yeah, like, they just basically have to shack up in a hotel. Oh wow! In that road city until they're cleared quarantine. So, like, mm-hmm. if that's the case, like, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that most of the players got back to Philly yesterday. So, I don't think they're all stuck in Washington, but like if they're a positive test, those guys very well might still be in D.C. in a hotel waiting to be cleared.
0: Jeez. Wow. I mean, there are worse cities to be stuck in, but
1: mm. that's,
0: <laughs> that's very interesting. And I was just going to say, you know, Bill Meltzer tweeted this morning about how today is Justin Braun's 34th birthday. His daughter just turned five. Mm. Like, that sucks. It sucks that this is what their jobs have have led to is that they can't be with their families and have this life threatening illness like that's it's still whether they're I mean they're young and they're healthy but still it's it's life threatening and a lot of people that died have died it's scary
1: I was gonna make a joke about Justin Braun's age I was like oh fuck I'm like two years younger than him <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's that. There's that classic tweet where um, it's like one of those like tweets, tweets that pops up every sports season where like somebody's somebody goes, um, you know, it's the oldest player in the league. You know, it's a miracle he's still standing, and it's like he's 32. Yeah, <laughs> so good.
1: <laughs> all right, uh, it
0: hurts me personally. I had one
1: more thing. Oh, um, Charlie, do they do the players like they're be- the ones who get back say they all test negative. They have some time off. Are they going to be able to practice in small groups or something? Like, is there some sort of way for them not to become, like, you know, out of shape in the next week?
3: Uh, I would assume no. I would assume that they can't go on the ice, at least for now. Um, But I'm not sure. Like, I can't confirm that one way or the other. Um, But, yeah, I would guess the Flyers are probably taking this very, very – you know, taking this very seriously and not putting guys on the ice if they were in contact with somebody who tested positive. And if somebody tested positive, that would explain why they canceled the game or postponed the game is the right word to use uh, for Tuesday. And, yeah, it's a it's a weird situation all around. I would assume that they're being very careful with, uh, you know, trying to determine just how far this got, you know, within and, the team.
0: And, I mean, if somebody tested positive in that locker room, they've all been exposed anyway. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's my...
1: That's my major confusion with the whole situation is how one guy in a locker, like, I don't know, these locker rooms aren't gigantic. Like, I don't know, but I'm not well, a well, but that's, that.
3: That's the thing, though. And, and I, I think actually, like, obviously I can't 100% confirm this because I haven't been in the locker room, um, but I think the Flyers are supposed to have masks on in the locker room
1: at yeah. all mm-hmm. times.
3: Um, like, that's that's part of the protocol. So, I mean, I can't say for certain they're doing it because I'm not there. But, like, I believe that they are – when they're not on the ice, they have to have masks on. Um, well,
0: we've seen – we've seen the league will find you if they find out that, you know, you're hanging out in your hotel room with a bunch of your friends and you don't have masks on. So, if they find out that they're in the locker room without masks, we would already know about yeah,
3: it. Yeah, yeah. So – the big thing is just being on the ice, which they were when they're playing games and when they're practicing. They do not have to wear masks when they're doing that. And it's indoors. It's cold. It's going to get passed around, which is clearly how, you know, the Devils and the Wild and these other teams, the Sabres, you know, have had this spread through their locker rooms super, super quickly. It's not because it's in the locker, which is because they're playing hockey together.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been the Happy Fun Times Hour with... Charlie, Bill, yeah. Kelly, and Steph will be back on the other side to uh, make jokes about Pittsburgh. So hang with us, mm-hmm. real quick, uh, through a commercial break of some sort or another, and then we're gonna talk sexy hexy. Okay, everybody, we are back, and uh, man, some news broke. It was it was building for for a little bit, uh, for a little bit, picked up some steam the last couple of days, and then yesterday is announced. Ron Hextall, our old pal, is the new general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brian Burke, Doctor Truculence himself, joins him as the uh, director of ho- uh, president of hockey operations. Whatever the hell it is, didn't write it down. Don't care. Uh, it's gonna be those two and Mario forming some sort of super squad to run the Pittsburgh Penguins. Man. First of all, just how'd you feel when you heard Ron Hextall is now the Pittsburgh Penguins GM?
2: I, I like, good for him. And then you remember, like, the Nancy Pelosi gif where she's, like, <laughs> like, clapping, yeah. like, in a really condescending way? It was kind of like that. I'm like, all right, good for you, buddy. I mean, he... I felt dirty. He he was a a good GM in a lot of ways.
0: Was he? Yeah, and then
2: also, like, I wasn't upset when they fired him, so, like, why would I be upset that he's... In charge of someone else's team now.
1: It's
0: not even I, about
1: I, the GMing to me. It's it's that I absolutely hate this. It's that he's our goalie. He's our guy. He's in our rafters in the Flyers Hall of Fame. And he runs their fucking team. Like, go run he's the Minnesota blood Wild or something. Like, run the LA Kings. He did this is, that. This is, this is
0: the move that. of a blood traitor. And I'm, like, what what... I I just What's That's this
3: supposed I to like do to
2: not hear. work. Let me ask
0: you a question, yes! Bill. No, if if the Pittsburgh Penguins called
2: you today and they were like, Bill Matt's, we want you to be our in-arena entertainment guy that says words in a microphone, you would be like, you know what, I can't fam. sorry. I
1: the would take the job it. and sabotage myself pretty quickly.
0: <laughs> Wait, Bill, Bill has a track record. Like he's gone on the record to say. He's gonna follow the money. He doesn't care. Of course care for he,
2: where it's of course he from. would, like any normal human being. If the Penguins I wanted would, to hire me to do something, I'd take the job in a second. Ron,
1: maybe maybe him. even do it sincerely for like a year. But then one day, like when the Flyers were up there playing <laughs> the Penguins, I would like rip off my shirt like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> have a Flyers jersey underneath, punch the fucking mascot in the yep. face, just like go down in the blaze of glory. That uh that really no one ever gets to. Or... That would, be, the that ultimate would dream. be amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know, I'm not mad about it. For yeah,
1: you, I'm not mad. I was just like, God damn it. And like I know we have like a current team and season to talk about, but like, do we? Not so, really. <laughs> not right now. So we uh it, it was it was a topic of debate on on the old Twitter machine yesterday. I chimed in on one of Charlie's tweets. People are all going back and forth about What Hexdoll's real strengths and weaknesses were. And, uh, you know, the draft was obviously pretty good to the Flyers. But when I looked back at it, I thought, you know, he did a good job. He didn't fuck up. Like, there were some picks that have busted or whatever. But for the most part, he just didn't do bad. But he wasn't, he's not some, like, guru, I don't think. I think his real strength was just accumulating value. He was really good at it. Like, two twos for Timonen, who, like, maybe or maybe not could have played. He was risking his life to do it. The Ronaldo trade, obviously. A one for Coburn, and you get Radko out of it. Two ones for Shen and a Coke dealer. Like, that's pretty good. Like, that seems to, like, to me, that's what Steph just, like, had to cover her face.
0: <laughs> I, had to, I had to remove myself from like, the it,
1: Like, to me, that's what he was really best at. How he then translated that accumulated value was decent. But it, when I went over his draft record, like, yeah, Provorov, great pick. But it was a great draft. Like, you could have had Wierenski, Rantan, Barzell, Shabbat. Like, yes, you didn't piss all over yourself like Boston, but that's, that can't be the bar. <laughs> you
2: know? That's a fair point. Congratulations, guy.
3: No, I mean, if we're. If we're and I know you're going to go into more because. No, no, no. Whole, we don't need to list everything. Thing. This was just for me. Like, no, I don't think anybody's saying like the Proveroff pick was some incredible pick. Basically, the only landmine they had to avoid there was don't take Lawson Krause. Yeah. So, <laughs> go, good job, Ron. You didn't do that. Thank God. But. The the big move he made in that draft, which is the one that he deserves tons of credit for, is the trade-up for Connect. Yes, I mean that, that was the smart move. Provorov was the, like, don't screw it up move. The We're using that extra pick that we got in the team and in deal to go up and get Travis Konechny, who is a bona fide top six NHL forward already. That was the brilliant move.
1: Oh, yeah, no. he He absolutely deserves credit for these things, but, like... Good player on the board, go and get him. Thank you. It's not like everyone knew Travis Konechny was a first-round pick and you had the capital to go get him. To me, having that capital is what made it a great move. Like, you saw a good player and went and got good player. Way to go. Like The ability to be able to do it is what was special about him for me. Like, I have the 2014 example here. Like, Sandheim, yes. Nice pick. Good player. Really glad we didn't take D'Angelo, who went a pick or two later. Um, But Pasta was still on the board. And we talk all the time, like, you don't have to get the best player to be successful. You just have to get a player who doesn't stink sometimes. But if we're calling him a
3: draft genius, like, it's important to put these things on the record, I think. I mean, is anybody—are there people that call him, like, a draft genius? I think it's just that he he added a lot of talent to this organization, and obviously part of that is accumulating picks, and an underrated part of that is not trading picks away like the Flyers had done for the previous, like, 30 years of their existence because you can't— you can't develop talent if you're not adding any of it to the team in the first place, which was especially what was happening in the final years of the home era and pexsta my big thing with Hextall and this is what I said in my my tweet yesterday was that the best thing you can say about him, which may seem like a like this is the the baseline for what a gm should do but it should it would it shouldn't shock you that a lot of gms don't even achieve this is he has a vision he has a plan, and he sticks to it and that's what part all this boiled down to was his vision, his plan was the only way we are going to pull ourselves out of Capel is to not consistently think that we're one or two players away, is to make our picks, is to draft and develop our talent. And that's what he did. And that's where, why the Flyers are in the position they're in right now. So it all kind of comes together. It's not just like he was this draft genius, because to be quite honest with you, there is no such thing as a draft genius. There is no such thing as a general manager that gets every single pick right. It doesn't Well, no, we've happen.
0: got Jay O'Brien to point to for that. But even
3: like, okay, we're even talking like Steve Eiserman. Like Steve, Steve Eiserman's the guy who, you know, everybody talks about as like this superhuman drafter who everybody wishes they had. He picked Jonathan Drewen. Like, yes, he was able to get out of it because he was able to make a great trade to get Mikhail Surchef for him. But he picked Jonathan Drouin with the third overall pick in the draft, ahead of guys like Seth Jones. Like, that wasn't a good pick. And sure. guess
1: what? But when you find, like, a Braden Point and a Kucherov... Like, when you That's find lucky, Kucherov though. in the second round, you get all the credit in the world. You it's do, luck. but, like, if... if it's luck, first... but luck, Like, it's all luck! The know. sport is fucking luck!
3: Yeah. My point is that if you're, if you're gonna say that, well, you can't call Hextall a draft genius because he took Travis Sanheim instead of David Pasternak. Like, you could nitpick every single GM in hockey, including the ones that everybody accepts to be these unbelievable drafters, because they didn't take the best player with every single pick.
1: I understand. I'm just like, when there is a guy who turns out to be a superstar, if you are this excellent talent
3: evaluator, you should have seen that. And I guess what I'm saying is I think that's unfair, because no one sees every superstar. It would have been nice if he saw one. I'm just saying.
0: Well I mean I, I, I mean, look fair. look the,
3: the the biggest the biggest critique you can make about Ron Hexall's drafting, and I mean again, I will say this knowing that it's gonna start a big fucking thing, it's Nolan Patrick. I mean that's the pick. Whoa. That that Whoa. that is that is the pick that if you're gonna critique Ron Hexall's drafting, you should say that like yes, it was a two player draft. Yes, everybody would have lost their minds that they wouldn't have taken Nolan Patrick. But the fact of the matter is is that Elias Pettersson, Kel McCarr, Amir Haskinen are I am about 90 to 95% certain we'll have better careers than Nolan Patrick. And I'm not saying Nolan Patrick isn't going to get better. I'll it's just that over. if Nolan Patrick was going to be better than those guys, I think he would have shown it by now. I think he's going to be good. I do not think he is going to be on their level. And that was a objective, in retrospect, mistake that Bron Haxtell made.
1: Yeah, 2017 isn't fair, but neither is life. Draft Kale McCarr. <laughs> like...
0: I, I just don't think I, – I don't think in the moment that was a
1: mistake.
2: I think that
0: there were people that were
2: saying that he shouldn't be
1: taken it's, with the Flyers I think, pick. It's but not your job to do the consensus thing. It's your job to be right.
0: But I, I also think that that's hindsight and what Charlie mentioned probably like three months ago when we were actually talking about Nolan Patrick. Um, is that people just wanted to be right. No, like, I people think are saying that now I, th- I think yeah. that
2: I read or heard somewhere that there. Maybe I didn't. I might be mixing something up in my head.
0: Anywho. But like, I don't I don't think in the moment that was a mistake. I think Jay O'Brien was a mistake in the moment. Yeah. And I still think it's a mistake.
3: Sure. Sure. Well, that was that was an overdraft. And like and that's the 18th pick. But I mean, it was important because you're looking at Conjure Miller doing, round. yeah, doing really well in New yeah, York, right. and Jay O'Brien's a sophomore in BU. So like, hey, that'd be cool if they had a, you know, if they had a Conjure Miller-, Miller to call up when Shane Gossasper had COVID and when Phil Myers was hurt. Like that'd be neat. Um, so that was a much, that a much bigger mistake, especially because like I'm skeptical that Jay O'Brien is even an NHL player.
0: I don't no, think that he is. Nolan
3: Patrick is very obviously an NHL player. Now how good he is, we'll see. I'm just saying that, like, if you're, to me, if you're going to say, like, what was the mistake of Ron Hexall's drafting tenure? Like, that's the big one because. The germ is up there. Is, is he, though? Because there really weren't any good players taken in that first round after him anyway. I mean, after the be- him. But they didn't They didn't have to, didn't have to draft down. anyone that late. They had an
1: earlier pick.
0: They had an earlier pick. They could have, well, probably not taken Jacob Chickren, but like, oh, there were better Trade players up. earlier, and then they traded down. Yeah. Like, he didn't have to do that. I
3: mean, the, the big thing you could say about that one is they should have taken Alex to But the thing is, is that everyone should have taken Alex to He lasted until the second round. So I'm not going to get too much on Ron when, like, the entire league underrated that guy.
1: You also had two chances to do it. With your early second-round pick that you spent on Pascal LeBeuge, and now that's unfair because of injuries. Who knows what happens there? But like mm-hmm. I said, it would be nice to hit on one of them real value picks, like Limblom, obviously best Was a real pick value of pick, and and Hart. I would you know second-round franchise goalie, but goalies are just valued differently. Like Limblom and Hart, Ooh. absolutely excellent picks. But, Ooh. fuck, man. I am tr-
0: worked up. I did not think that I was going to get worked up about Ron Hextall and his yeah, drafting today.
3: But uh, I am. I uh. In, in aggregate, he's a good drafter. Yeah, he was good. a good drafter. Good. I don't think he was, like, this incredible drafter. But not I guess good. my point is, is that I don't think anybody is actually this incredible drafter.
1: Yeah. There are teams with a lot of really good players. Um, and the Flyers are one of them. And many of them weren't drafted by Ron Hextall. They were drafted previously or traded for or as free agents. I would love to know, would anyone love to know the truth about Hextall's mandate here? Like, I would, I would never yeah. know it because, like, you know, Ed Snyder's dead. It's, the team is run by a nameless, faceless corporation. But I would love to know if he would have completely torn it down if he could. Like, if there was no mandate that we have to appease fans, no mandate that we have to continue to sell tickets at a high level, like, would G and Jake have been moved? And we just fucking tank? Like, I wonder if he thought rebuilding on the fly, doing the retooling thing was the way to go, or uh, if he would have gone even deeper Full Richie he Carter. could have. I don't know. I
0: mean, I think that, in in my opinion if he wanted to tear it down, he would have kept his job. I don't get it. Like, he got fired because he wouldn't deviate from his plan. I know, but I I think that
2: perhaps his, like, actual thing, like, what he really wanted to do was go full scorched earth and trade the entire core and really do a full rebuild bottom to top. And the team was like, like Bill said, you can't do all of that and then it got we to can't a point, have an
1: empty building. You know? Yeah,
2: and then it got to a point where the team. I think the. I mean, the reason that he got fired was not because he had a plan to stock the cupboard with prospects because the Flyers had none. It's because he was a dick. It was because he's like, yeah, apparently like a noted dickhead, and also he he couldn't like. At some point, you do have to pivot from a rebuild to doing stuff, and the Flyers very obviously whatever kind of rebuild they were doing had gotten to the point where it was time to pivot into doing stuff and he wasn't going to or was unable to or or whatever. That's what got him fired. I don't think it was necessarily that he decided that they were rebuilding the team.
1: Do we now he did this thing and he had this vision and he stuck to it because he thought that was the plan for this team. He said in his press conference, I'm not a one trick pony. Do you think he has it in him? to run a team a different way, because this is a team, yeah, G and Jake, that's nice, but, like, Crosby and Malkin, this is it for one of the best duos of all time. Like, is he the guy to squeeze the last bit out of those two, like, the end of their era
3: as a, a really good duo? So, so, okay. Go ahead. Okay, I'll go. Um, so here's my issue with that. I agree with, I agree with his point that you know, he's like, look, I'm not just a one-trick pony. I can manage teams different ways. I 100% believe that's true. I, as I said, I believe his thing is that he has a vision, he has a plan, he sticks to it. And there's no reason why he can't have a different vision or plan for the Penguins than he had for the Flyers. That said, there are personality traits that he seems to have that could prove to be an issue regardless of what plan he takes on. Like, I think Ron, like, again, you heard it all the, all the time coming out of the Flyers people after they fired him, which was this idea that he was unyielding, that he had this, he had his plan, and he wasn't willing to deviate from it at all. And that's something that could be an issue regardless of what plan you do, because you have to have a degree of flexibility there. You have to have a degree of, like, okay, maybe we should pivot. I also think another thing about Ron, and this is what it boiled down to with trades, like, I don't think Ron... Was willing to lose trades, like and and, and Even I know for that, a benefit. And I know that sounds bad because obviously in an ideal world you win every trade, but sometimes you have to lose the battle to win the war. Like we saw it with the trades that that Fletcher made. You know when he got Niskanen and Braun, and we were all like, oh, "Are those great value trades? Like you know maybe they overpaid for Braun. You know maybe Niskanen could be could be washed. We don't know. But his thing was like, "Look, this team needs." These particular types of players, I've identified guys who fit the needs that I've identified, and I'm going to go out and get them, and if I have to spend a little bit more than people ideally would want me to, that's okay because I think they're what this team needs, and I don't think Hexall was willing to make those kind of trades. I think every trade had to be Ronaldo for a third. Where yeah. it was a fu- it was a fuck yeah trade, and at how does point- Boston have the team they do with all this shit
1: <laughs> like that fucking with the the twenty uh, fifteen draft like the Ronaldo for a third right there should have relegated them to fucking mediocrity for a decade just based on like
3: goddamn karma I, how do they have this team go on I, I'm, yeah. I'm but like the the thing that bothered me about Hextall's like, final press conference that he did in a hotel that conference was great. room a block <laughs> down the road thing. from the skate zone was when he was like, well, I'm not going to trade, a, you know, a good young player for a veteran in his mid-30s. And it was like, Ron, that's like, uh, that's just, y- no one wants you to do that. Like, no one wanted you to do that. Yeah. And no one would have been okay with you doing that. What people wanted you to do was something. You know, was make some kind of trade. You shake it up a little bit, fire a coach, like do something. <laughs> and it seemed like in his head, doing something equaled doing something stupid. Mm. And I don't, I don't think I don't that's think the that way that's, it worked.
0: I don't think that's true. Um, and I said it in our Festivus Christmas New Year's special podcast uh, when I did my my history of Ron Hextall's press conference in the hotel. Um, is that that was just him spinning the Maybe. story to make everyone yeah, else look ridiculous? That's possible. Um, so using
1: the extreme thing, like Charlie said, that nobody wants. Yeah.
0: Right now, building off what Charlie said, um, everything I agree with everything that he said, and on top of that, Ron Hextall was notorious in this fan base for not being able to identify and um elevate nhl talent Mm -hmm. nhl level talent like all of his trades for nhl level talent were bad let's let's look at you know dale weiss it's fair um who else The, the even even the hartnell for umberger trade like you brought rj umberger back here and he was awful um that poor uh, dude um, just Boyd Boyd Gordon. Like all of his yeah, identification <laughs> of NHL talent was awful. So if he's going into Pittsburgh with I mean, you know who the NHL talent there is, but if he's supposed to beef up these bottom two lines, the, the lines without Malkin and Crosby, they're pretty fucked. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like people learn lessons.
2: I feel like it's possible that he learned from his mistakes here and could be a better GM I, there. I wouldn't be surprised. I
0: really by don't it. think that. I really don't think that that's in his personality. It's He does seem like the
2: type of guy that doesn't learn a lesson.
3: But also, yeah. like, I don't think that's a mistake. Like, there's something to be said about like you know learning from your mistakes in the sense of okay, like for example, like. Chuck Fletcher said in his press conference that he gave when he took the job that, like, a mistake he learned from was the Brent Burns trade. You know, he traded Brent Burns. That was, like, the first big trade he made, and it was, like, I learned from that. Like, basically, don't make panic moves. You know, don't think that, like, because I'm a new GM, I have to put my stamp on this team. And it's, like, that was a mistake that he learned from. Those are mistakes. Like, what Steph is talking about is not a mistake. What Steph is talking about is having – a poor method of analyzing nhl talent yeah. like that's not a mistake that's a potential inherent flaw mm-hmm. and if i'm if i'm the if i'm a penguins fan that's what i'm most concerned about i'm most concerned with the fact that like can ron hextall adequately evaluate nhl level talent and i you know he didn't do that great of a job here Does that mean he's necessarily going to do a bad job in Pittsburgh? No, he could, he could be better, but it's a concern because like my big thing, the big thing that really, really frustrated me about, about Hextall, which became incredibly obvious in the beginning of Fletcher's tenure is that Hextall just, he was, look, everybody's going to make mistakes with players. Every, every GM is going to think, I think this player is good. And then Two months in is going to realize, shit, I was wrong. He sucks. The thing with Hexstall was that he was never willing to admit that one of the guys he got was bad. Like, Fletcher came in and he immediately got rid of everybody that we've been screaming for years was bad. No, we like, said, like, he, that was the greatest moment
1: for just collective mental health in the history yes. of this organization. Like, we had been gaslighted into, but like, like they were t- trying to tell us, no, you're you're wrong about Yuri Laterra. It yeah. doesn't matter that he has one point in two years; he's actually good. I was like, no, I'm sorry, he's fucking bad. And if you think he's good, you're wrong. And they actually told us, you're not crazy. It's okay, exactly. and it was the nicest thing in
3: the world. Like Dale Weiss, gone. Yeah, Yuri Laterra. That's gone. Andrew McDonald bought out. Dave Haxtall <laughs> yeah, Andrew- <laughs> fired. Ian Laparriere, no longer coaching the awful penalty kill. Like these were glaring issues that Ron Haxtahl was just like, eh, it's fine. And like the fact that Fletcher came in and was like, No, I can actually do something about these problems, so I'm gonna do it. It was extremely refreshing. And they're like— And I just, like, that's the stuff. Like, that's the thing that Hextel has to learn from. Like, when something isn't working, don't just keep rolling it out there. Actually address the problem because you can. That's, because it's your job that's to the,
1: do it. the idea of, like, just do something. Like, those were all ancillary problems. Now they all added up. But, like, the problem was they didn't have enough good players. But yeah, like in Lapierre, is the penalty kill going to get noticeably better? Maybe it ticks up a little, but like he's clearly not helping. So fix yes. this issue. Yes. Like it's just it's just something very small that you can do. It's something. Uh I so you were talking about the kinds of players Hextall brought in. And I'm glad like we mentioned uh uh, uh like Radko Gudis, Dale Weiss, uh Ryan White. These guys Man, to think what Pittsburgh could be, pairing Ron Hextall with Brian Burke.
2: That's the thing that really is like, what are you Now, like,
1: two things are entertaining me about this pairing. One is there is a, I don't know, 88% chance that these two end up in a fist fight <laughs> at some point <laughs> in the near future. Like, it's it's Seriously? more than... it's. It, It's really high. It's a very good possibility that these two end up fucking, like, getting arrested for assaulting each other. (laughs) Two... Man, there's a real possibility. They just turn this team into Crosby, Malkin, and ten goons, and everyone's toughness hypothesis gets fucking tested. (laughs) This is kind of what I want to see, is those two centering, like, basically rotating with ten goons, and let's see what happens. Give them all the space on the ice, all the room in the world to create. Let's see how much you two have left in the tank and see how it goes. Well, William...
2: What you're going to get told is that no one wants a team full of goons. They want a team full of Tom Wilsons. Go get those. Yeah. All the Tom Wilsons. 20
3: goal scoring fighters. They're just available.
2: Everybody's got one except for us.
3: Yeah. (laughs) One thing that did amuse me, and like, I don't know if this is. I'm going to guess that there was intention here, but I don't know for sure. So I don't want to like, you know, confirm it. But like, it is funny to me that brian burke's job is to report to the ceo and ron hextall apparently doesn't have to report to the ceo just because of the rumors that came out in philly of like hextall like really not wanting to give the time of day to anyone that wasn't like directly a hockey person. (laughs) And they're just like, all right, well, to avoid that problem, we're going to get Brian Burke to do that part of the The job. and Ron can just just focus on hockey.
1: I picture Ron, like walking into Dave Scott's office and him being like, what's your plan? And him tossing him a fucking coloring book and say, here, here's something for you to work on. (laughs) Like like, that's what he's, oh man, this thing, but back to Brian Burke for a second. This fucking league, man. It's, uh, did anyone here watch The Wire? It's like course, somebody, yeah. somebody does something real fucked up on the police force and they get like a slap on the wrist. Surprise, surprise. And uh, one other cop just says like, man, what do you got to do to get thrown <laughs> off of this fucking force? <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to do to be out of chances in the NHL? Literally really nothing. Brian really Burke's time in Toronto and Calgary was, a, was farcical. Like, it's, 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 you couldn't parody it. Wh- why do they think this is a good idea? I think it's funny. Why do they think it's a good idea? And then, like,
2: Truculous? literally, even, even after his hockey stuff, like, he's been the butt of a joke on television for the last, like, 10 years. Like, no one takes him seriously. They think he's well, an well, idiot. That, and he's got funny hair.
1: Why but not but bring that's in the, Don Cherry?
3: Like, that, that's the thing, though, Kelly. Like, you're kind of speaking in Twitter terms right now. Like, you're like, he's a joke, but he's not a joke to people in the game. Why not? He's a joke. He's a joke on Twitter.
2: I don't think... I feel like anybody who's watching Sportsnet thinks he's in a hilarious jerk-off. Like, I don't think anybody's at home in Canada going, you know what, Brian Burke? Great point. Fuck. Never would have thought uh, of it.
3: I don't know about that. I mean, that. like,
2: do you, I, do you really think there's, that, like, There's There's
3: there's a lot of traditional hockey fans I don't know. Like,
2: there. do you really think that Mike Milbury is only hated by people who are online like i feel like nobody's watching hockey games being like yeah mike milbury is great at this job i really like watching him
3: well mike milbury is an exception because not only was he bad at this job he was also bad at being a hockey man too (laughs) Brian burke has like has at least like won a cup and like had some success um Whereas, like, Millberry, I think everybody sort of, I would hope everybody agrees, like, yeah. really doesn't know what he's talking but, about.
2: But, like, it was, like, since he drafted the Sadine twins, like, what is, what's the good? Where are the good bets? Like, I don't know what else there is. Uh-oh, did we lose Bill?
0: We may have lost yeah. Bill. I had someone pounding on my door for the past, like, 10 minutes. Oh.
3: Well, that's Guys, that's I'm, very I'm, helpful, definitely. I'm busy.
0: Like, A <laughs> little <busy>. bit. A <laughs> little bit. Go away. Um... I I can see both sides of this argument. I think that both he is a joke on Twitter and that people take him seriously. And I think that the same thing the same thing is with uh Don Cherry. I I think it was Kelly that mentioned him. I mean, he's got a whole lot of other bullshit happening, but yes, he's a joke on Twitter, but also people in the game take him seriously. It's you know it's it's the white hockey man. Yeah. You're always you are always going to have a job somewhere in this league.
3: It's also just that like everybody's buddies with them. Yeah, like that that's, that's the thing. Good. Like and, and and that's that's what a lot of this like hockey man thing is about. It's about like everybody's friends, like everybody's friends, and everybody's like cool with each other. So like that's how like you know a Shirelli gets to stay in the game because like you know, yeah, he he GM'd another team and did a really bad job of it, but, like, we all like him. Like, he's a nice guy, so he keeps getting jobs. And, like, they've had conversations with him where he's made good points and they respect his hockey knowledge, even if, like, all we see is the, you know, awful job he did GMing a team with the best player in hockey and running it into the ground. And we're like, how can you possibly think this guy knows hockey? But to them, he's just, like, another buddy of theirs that obviously he deserves a gig. And, like... I guess I'm sympathetic to it to a degree because, like, that happens in any any industry where, you know, you're going to help your friends. So, like, I get it. At the same time, the way it works in practice is that it turns into, like, only your friends can get a job. And the only way that you become one of the hockey men is to become buddy-buddy with everybody else. Like... That's the issue, and it creates just a very insular world where it's just the same, like 80 people cycling around in the same jobs over and over again. Did
1: we lose Bill again?
3: I think Bill might have frozen. He is frozen with a smirk on his face. He does look a bit
2: frozen. It was hard to tell because that's like his face all the time.
3: You gotta that lo- is his face all the time. It is it's, all right. You gotta love the uh, the the problems of recording podcasts in a pandemic. Um, okay, so we only have a little bit more time. I'll take over for a bit. So I Beautiful. guess I guess just like general thoughts. The Flyers are eight three and two. Obviously, the season has been paused, so we don't know the next time they're going to play. But as Bill points out on the outline, they're tied with Boston. They're 8-1-0 against teams not named the Boston Bruins. So there is very good reason to think that the Flyers are, or could be, the second-best team in this division, only worse than the Boston Bruins. So quick hit before we end today's show. What are the Flyers doing well? And what would you say their biggest weakness so far has been and is?
0: Well, their biggest weakness is obviously defense. The defense is atrocious and i don't think that there's a person on the planet that would disagree including the defenseman Mm -hmm. like there's the the defense is just awful um what they're doing well is uh a little bit questionable because i'm not sure that they're really doing anything well other than finding ways to win which is a skill like that's super important especially when, you know, that's what matters here. Um but looking at their game, uh, they're sh- I don't know, shooting really well. I
2: mean, that's unsustainably true. well, sure, but they are still shooting very well. Um I would say just uh, not even just that the defensemen are bad. I think that, like, defensively as a whole, yeah. the team is terrible. And, like,
3: I think that's the big Specifically,
2: thing. shot suppression, like, they give up so many shots. It's like, eventually they're going to go in, guys. You can't give up 30, 40 shots a night. It's just not going to work. And it's making Carter yeah. Hart look bad
3: yeah i mean i think there's there's really two things we're looking at here um you know number one is like what has been their problem so far and then number two is like what do we think their long-term problems are like i think the defenseman is a long-term problem mm-hmm. which is that the flyers need better defensemen they need at least one more legitimately good top four defenseman ideally they would get that guy and then another guy to be a really good third pair defenseman and then they're they're set but they have the very least need one guy in the short term though i think you know the the team defense is a bigger problem than the defensive specifically, just because you know the forwards have been maybe less than conscientious defensively mm-hmm. in, for for long stretches. I think they've been better; like they were better, like definitely against Boston. They were better in the last two games, and then it kind of fell apart again against the Capitals. Um, but on the whole, I think they've been better over the last you know six ish, six or seven games defensively as a group. Um, but yeah, I mean, the defense core is a weakness and I would hope they know that they need to address it before the trade deadline. They want to really take a shot at winning the cup this year in terms of their strengths. Like I sort of agree with Steph that it's sort of hard to pick out strengths so far aside from like they create they have created a lot of like slam dunk goals mm-hmm. like, mm. you know, in the sense of, you know, yeah, you could say they're shooting is too high you know they're 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 finishing on too many of their chances there's no way that's sustainable and I agree with that I mean we've seen so many teams have high shooting percentages and then over time you know it it goes down and the team loses games it's it's a regular thing but so far the Flyers have had a lot of goals that have basically been like tap-ins you know like you know three passes and then a guy shooting into a wide open net like the expected shooting percentage of that goal isn't 20 percent it's like 95 percent And they've had quite a few of those that have allowed them to score more goals than maybe like, you know, a public expected goals model might have you believe they should be scoring. That said, I mean, that might not happen as often, you know, as teams get better defensively. I mean, not the Flyers aren't the only team that's struggling defensively. Other teams are having breakdowns that they're probably going to have less of as the season progresses. So those sort of tapping goals might be harder to make and then shooting percentage is going to go down. Over the long term, though, I think one of their strengths is... Their, their two biggest strengths, in my mind, over the long term is their scoring depth, which should become more obvious with Sean Couturier back. And then also their forechecking game. I think they're a really good forechecking team, and I think we're seeing that happen more and more over the last week or so. Like, the Sean Couturier goal in the third period, that was a forecheck goal. I mean, they dump the puck in, they get it back, they win puck battles. Couturier scores on what essentially was basically a rebound. Um, they're doing better at creating off dump and chase off puck retrievals and historically last year they were a really good team at that so i think that's going to come back i think that's a strength of theirs i don't know if it's been a strength now or at least so far but i think it will be over the long term and as will their scoring depth which has to a degree i mean they've scored a lot of goals regardless of how frustrated we've been like they have games where they just blow teams away with five six seven goals like they did on sunday
0: and, and the depth, totally agree. The depth is a strength, and they are... C- can you do depth well? Well. Do depth. We're, Love we're doing depth. Do we're depth. doing
3: depth. Love to depth.
0: We're, we're doing depth. Um, depth you know, is Scott Lawton. Scott Lawton, of all players, had a hat trick, and Travis Konechny had one a few weeks ago. Like, that's scoring depth. Yeah, Lawton seems to be turning it around, which is very good to see. Love to see it. <laughs> So you know, I we could we could keep going down this outline if you guys want to.
3: No, I mean I think we're I think we're good. We it seems like we've lost Bill. Unfortunately, he's had some technical difficulties, so we're going to have to uh, yeah we're going to have to wrap it up. What what's the thing that Bill says at the end of shows?
2: And that's, and this- that's all the time we, <laughs> we have.
3: There we go. We did From it Rock collectively. Hockey Radio. It's a team effort.
2: Hit that like <laughs> and subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice
0: five stars only and only say nice things about us yes please that's all we want to see all right um
3: thanks for uh, for listening everybody and we will see you next for week.
2: bill for charlie for stuff have a great week everybody <laughs> and kelly oh yeah and me too have a great week everybody
1: are you ready to talk about sports yeah.